the fact that she's in your presence. Lord, in Sunday school this morning, we, uh, we uh, heard the words of Jesus talking about the fact that he is preparing a place for each of us, and if it were not so, he would have told us so. What a wonderful lesson to have this morning, God, and the fact that if we, if we took those words to heart, that we would have a, just a radically different view of what it means to be in your presence and how much we would long to seek for heaven right now. We do come before you grieving, but we come before you thankful for the fact that she is no longer suffering, Lord, and that she is in a place where there's no more tears, no more pain. We thank you that we have that confidence this morning. Lord, as we come before you this week, this week uh, in this month of gratitude, this is the time when we come together and we consider all the things that we have to be thankful for and grateful for, and Lord, allow us to fully grasp the gratitude that we have for families, for our earthly families, for our church family, for the fact that we come before you in a place where we can freely worship and praise your name. We come before you thankful, God, that next week the Advent season begins and we can look forward to the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for all these things, and in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. There is uh, indeed much to be thankful for. One of the things that I'm thankful for is uh, we have some really talented young people here. And uh, Kenzie, where's Kenzie? Kenzie, where are you? Rejoicing and grieving hearts this morning. And uh, thank you for your... She inspires me. Uh, We had a wedding yesterday and and, uh, got to really enjoy that time together. And she's got some some jokes for us this morning. So, all right, are you ready? Wait. Okay. What does a teddy bear and a turkey have in common? What does a teddy bear and a turkey have in common? They're both stuffed. They're both stuffed. (laughs) Oh, man. Ah. If April showers bring May flowers, then what do May flowers bring? So if April showers bring May flowers, what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims. Pilgrims. (laughs) Oh, I get it. Mayflower. That's good. That's really good. My family told me to stop telling Thanksgiving jokes, but I told them I could not quit cold turkey. (laughs) Amen, amen. Thank you. Oh, my family told me to quit telling Thanksgiving jokes, but I couldn't do it cold turkey. I will tell you, we did have a wedding here yesterday, and uh, Chad Berry and Brittany got married, and it was absolutely fabulous. There's, a, there's certainly a, something very unique about it. And so many, and many of you have family members, friends that were married in the old sanctuary there. And there's certainly something uh, very pleasant about that, uh, just the ambiance. And uh, so it was really good. So we had the wedding. It, it was a very emotional wedding. And uh, you, know how, you know how I know it was emotional? E- even the, the cake was in tears. Do I, huh? Let me continue. And that was from my loving wife. So, 
It is uh, good to be here this morning. Um, and we do. We have a lot to be thankful for. Our text this morning is going to be in Philippians, uh, the third chapter. I'm dovetailing Isaiah and uh, Philippians. We will start the Advent uh, message next week. Uh, there is a correlation here between Isaiah's fundamental message to the uh, Israelites, God's people. He said, you, 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 you're in rebellion, you're revolting, you've abandoned uh, your relationship, you're abandoning God, his word. You've revolted, you've rebelled. And then what, you know, how he addresses that and what it looks like. And then for us, when you kind of come back over here to Philippians and the statement, the overall message that's in Philippians uh, that the Apostle Paul writes. He's a, you know, he is under Roman arrest. Uh, if you know the story of Paul, he was, he was obviously Jewish. Uh, if you know his story, a Pharisee. Uh, if you know uh, his persecution of the church, uh, Acts uh, chapter 6, 7, 8. You know about his conversion, uh, hopefully, in Acts uh, chapter 9. God, uh, Jesus Christ met him uh, on the road to Damascus. And, and then if you're familiar with the writings of the New Testament, he is responsible for the majority of the writing of the New Testament. Um, and so when he writes to the Philippians, he is a prisoner. Uh, he's been conspired against, falsely accused of things he did not do. Uh, he, uh, he's being held as a prisoner. He has appealed to bring his case before Caesar as a Roman citizen. And he writes this wonderful book. He writes this fabulous book. I, I want to revisit that verse again in the 8th chapter of Romans that uh, Linda read. I, I, just because the connection here. This is a great foundation for what Paul is going to say in Philippians and then the message that would correlate with that. So in Romans 8 again, uh, so Paul writes, I'm going to actually start in verse 10. I'm actually going to start in verse 9. I mean, I could back up and back up. I, you know what? I'm just going to... I'm going to start in verse 6. That's where I really want to start. I was doing this, you could just go all the way back to the first verse. But uh, So verse 6 says, For the mind set on the flesh is death. So the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. What a statement. We talked about a statement here a couple of weeks ago where Paul mentions an enemy of the cross. And now this statement here, because the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does, and this is why, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, which would be the word of God. So the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God because it doesn't subject itself to the word of God, for it is not even able to do so. It's not even able to do so. When your mind is set on the flesh, you are really in a hostile relationship with God. And your mind isn't even able to think spiritually. So for those who are in flesh cannot please God. And we're in the flesh, you cannot, we cannot please God. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If you're a Christian... You're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. God has gifted you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you go to Romans chapter 5, 
The scripture says that the love of God does not disappoint. He's a great mantra about you and I, uh, even when we were wicked, evil, lost in our sins, God demonstrated his own love for us by giving us his son. And he has poured the love of God, he has, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, you are now led by the Spirit. So again, verse 1, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells within you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he doesn't belong to him. This great picture of the flesh and the Spirit writing these words to Christians. So, and if Christ is in you through the, though the body is dead because of sin, verse 10, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. So if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, your body is dead, should be, because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells in you. Even though our body is dead to sin, we've been gift, given the gift of the Holy Spirit, He, he great, makes this great uh, statement about, it, but God does something. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells in you. Do you ever think about that? You can only live as a mortal, really genuinely live as a, a, as a mortal in the flesh, genuinely, because of what God does through Christ and his spirit indwelling in us. You know, you watch those uh, shows and movies today, you know, about the, the, the living dead or the zombies or the walking dead and all that. If you really equate what Paul is saying here, if you and I, if, if, if an individual does not have in his mortal body the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we're just, even though the body, this physical body may be lit, it's dead. We're just walking zombies. And so, continuing, he said, verse 11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, we're under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Christians, your obligation. If I said to you, what is your obligation? The Scripture says, your obligation is not to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, Christians, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now, look at this statement again, verse 13. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll, you'll live. That's, a, that's an active word. Now, I will tell you, I believe the single hardest thing for any of us to do, the thing that happens when God saves us, God saves us. God determines Tiffany and his knowledge and his preordained, pre-known, omnipotent, omnipresent, always ne never making a mistake, not having to guess. He said, Tiffany, I'm going to save her. She needs saving. She's married to blame, but I'm going to save her. He's not here. I can say that. He's a big guy. So, but if he, if he does, he said, that's what I'm going to do. You're saved. 
You're saved. Not on, not on the basis of good deeds, Ephesians 2. But you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. God determined he's going to save you. He then gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit through Christ alone on the basis of faith alone. His faith, not your faith. He's the author and perfecter of faith. And he's done that. He's accomplished that. Now we know from that point moving forward, the single most difficult thing that we do as we live and breathe here on earth is putting to death the flesh. That's it. It's the struggle that Paul had already mentioned in chapter 7. Why do I do? Why do I do? The Apostle Paul saved, indwelling, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? The good that I would do, I find that I cannot do. I know that. I know that the principle of evil dwells within me, the one who wishes to do good. And so whatever stage you're in in your Christian life, I don't know. I don't know. It, I don't know. God knows. You should know. When you were consciously aware, when, it, when through the gospel and the knowledge and the preaching and this internal inception of the gospel, because that's how God saves, Romans 10 and 17, you know, Ephesians 2, you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. So you're saved by grace through faith. Hebrews chapter 11, he's the author and perfecter of faith. And so in that faith, Romans 10 and 17, consequently faith comes by hearing and entering the word of the story of Christ. That's it. That's how God saves. And the entirety of the Bible establishes that. And so that's who you are. The reality is in So now I'm, I am a spirit being. The spirit of Christ dwells within me. But I'm still in this fleshly thing here. And for the first time, my body really now is alive differently. And I know one of the reasons that I know that it's really alive. It's because my spirit, the spirit of Christ that God gave me, is at war with my flesh. Before the spirit of Christ, there was no war. My dead flesh lived a dead life. My dead doings was dead. It's what my flesh desired. My dead flesh desired dead things. Now, we're going to read a verse here in a minute that Paul calls them earthly things. Earthly things. And I'm going to make a statement. I really want to speak more to anybody here, these young folks. And the burden that this passage demonstrates and illustrates for all of us. But on the other side, there's this tremendous thanksgiving blessing. Okay? So, Paul, go to Philippians, chapter 3. Uh, he makes a statement in the third chapter. Beginning in verse 17. I want you to focus on three words specifically. Verse 17. Brethren, this is from the New American Standard, join in following my example. Brethren. He's already written them a whole lot of stuff. Prisoner. You can read about his relations with the Philippians, the relationship he had with them in Acts, beginning in Acts chapter 16. These are people he knew. Church was established there through his missionary work. 
And he calls them brethren. Join in following my example. And observe, that's the second word, those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Focus on the brethren. Uh, there's three things here. Uh, an example, an observation, and a pattern. Now, I'll tell you a great thing. So in 1995, I, I was at the College of Biblical Studies at Abilene Christian University, and we had this great Dr. David Lewis, and, and he was a, a Christian psychologist, and he was a professor, and had his Ph.D., and he made this statement that I thought was absolutely fabulous. He had dedicated his life into getting, you know, a, a doctorate in psychology, and he was a brilliant man. And he made a statement that I heard mirrored all the years that I was in the College of Biblical Studies that they were educating us, that the Bible was the forerunner in every uh, piece of knowledge that man had. That the Bible is unparalleled. There's not another piece in there, is it? Don't take my word. I could take the time to prove it to you, and I'd be glad to. But you can't name anything that exists historically in the area of literature that compares to the Scripture. You can't do it. It doesn't exist. Just doesn't. And, and so there's nothing that compares to the assembling of God's Word, the, the reality of God's Word in all of human literature. There's not. Shakespeare, uh, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, not anything, any historical record, this outperforms it, it predates it, it outperforms it, and it's been more criticized, more examined, and it's still the best-selling book in the history of all of humanity. So that's just, and I could go on and on just about that. But the statement would say, now here's a great thing if you want to know about before anybody could put, uh, do any research about nutrition, it, before anybody, the principles that God has in his book about the things you ought to eat and why you ought to eat them, that God wrote before there was any school in nutrition, the biblical dietary plan for nutrition is it's perfect you want low blood pressure eat this diet you, you want to have energy eat this diet you want your body to perform at its peak level eat this diet before there was ever any school of finance the bible was very clear we talked about this in gym here a couple of weeks ago the bible was very clear about how you ought to live financially and if you were to go to any school of finance that exists anywhere in the world today, what the Bible says about financial success, it had already been established, written. Second Timothy, Paul's letter, the young old preacher to young preacher in the third chapter, verse 16, 16 he said, all scripture is inspired by God, all of it. Every one of these words is inspired by the Holy Spirit for reproof and teaching and education to train a person of God in the way that they should live. Finance, marriage, raising your children. Whatever man has determined to know about anything, the Bible had already established it as true and right before man figured it out. It's just true. And I take, if you ever decide you want to study that, or if you ever want to, I'll say, well, we'll do it, and I'll give you all the time you need to do it. This word is true. Long before men knew the truth about anything, the Bible had already established the truth about it. And, and part of that, uh, one of those in this great psychologist, he said this verse right here, he gave us this one, and I can tell you exactly, he gave us 312 verses that go along with this verse. 
And they're all tied together from Genesis through Revelation, written by different authors, and it had to do with psychology. And, and so what is psychology? Grace, do you know what psychology is? The way you think. I knew I could ask her, and I knew she'd get it right. So the way you think when you're born, Grace, when you're born, the way you think, you don't really have a way, do you? You're born, and your eyes are open, and you got some people saying, goo, 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 you know, smiling, and, and they're, you know, and they're loving you, and, you know, and, and you, you're just looking, and you, all of a sudden, I'm hungry, and you cry. And then, and then, and then my diaper needs to be changed, you know. Dylan, you know, your diaper needs to be changed. And so you cry. But you really don't have any way. You're, you're learning some stuff. You're seeing and hearing some stuff, okay. So you don't really, the way you think is being developed. Do you know how the psychology of the way you think, do you know what that is? Hmm, Obser through example, observation, and pattern. So you just sit, you're watching. And everybody here is setting an example. Everybody here is setting an example. What's an example? I'm going to go back to Grace because I think I can get a smart answer here. What's an example? Something you look at. Abigail, what's an example? A demonstration. I ain't asking any of these. <laughs> the, the brains is over there. All right? So, yeah. So we got examples everywhere, right? And then you observing them, right? You, you can only learn. I'm watching that. Hmm. That's an example. I'm observing it. I'm seeing it. And then along with every example and every observation, there's a pattern. There's a pattern. I'm going to go back to the smart side of the deal over here. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Back to you. All right. What's a pattern? Um, something, that often. something that happens often. I'll tell you, y'all are way smarter than all of them. <laughs> that's good. Certainly some of them anyway. So that's when you're a little child. You're watching. You're observing. You're watching your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters. Some of you shouldn't be watching them. And then you see an example, and there's a pattern. Normally, the pattern we fall into is the things that we kind of just do, you know. It's a pattern, you know, and you just learn it. And here's the problem with that. It's a truth. It's a psychological, biblical truth. And before there was any school of psychology, the Bible already knew the truth. But it's the truth, okay? So it's very important. That you, the Bible always says, examine yourself. Maybe you have observed the wrong thing. You know what our prisons are full of? Now, I'm not talking about diseases. I'm not talking about that. But the Bible says that we're born sinners. You just read the 51st Psalm. You're born a sinner. That cute little baby and that, that's a sinner. We're born sinners in our flesh. We just talked about the flesh. And so as a born little sinner, and you mom and dads, you know, 
that cute little baby that is the most brightest and beautiful and handsome and sweetest baby in the world, they can be pretty evil pretty quick. <laughs> they can make you crazy. They can demand. They can just, you know, they can. I remember J. Vernon McGee years ago, and I've shared this before, but he said, you ever see a cute, say, look at that cute little baby. They throw in the face. They said, you know, if a baby knew how to shoot a gun in one of their tantrums, they'd probably kill you. No, that's a cute little sinner. So we're born sinners. This is who we are. We were born sinner. And so here's the problem with that. We're born a sinner, and then we're observing, and we see examples and patterns from people that are also sinners. And the best intentions that we have, Isaiah would say in Isaiah 66, the righteousness of man is like a filthy rag unto God. So even the best that we do in our flesh, even the best that we do in our flesh, we're doing things that we're observing. We see examples in a pattern that the best that it can be done by a human being without the Spirit of God, the Bible says it's like a filthy rag. That's pretty depressing. Our prisons are full of people. Who everything they have observed, they're already sinners. Everything they've observed and the examples in their life and the pattern, it manifested itself as they would become young adults. Just talk to our teachers in the public school system, any system. How terrible and how quickly Young children can just become, their behavior is just, they're just little heathens. And I don't mean that ugly, it's true. The best we've got without the Spirit of Christ in us is just not very good. Now God answered that problem. But here's the meat of what he's saying. He says, listen to his brethren, back to chapter 3. Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now listen to this. For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. This is the most dreadful statement. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But so, go back to this verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. The flesh. The hardest thing, and I go back to my introduction, the hardest thing that we do. God saves us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. It indwells within us through the love of God. And in our flesh, this thing, this, this, this body, it, it's, it's living to die. Your body, your physical body, your lungs, your heart, uh, it's living to die. Your spirit is dying to live. That's your struggle. But your body is living to die. And so we have this ongoing battle because the flesh wants what the flesh wants and the desires of the eyes cannot be fulfilled. And out of the heart flows all these things, adulteries, immoralities, fornications. It's right there. Jesus said, 
The heart above all else is wicked because out of it flow all these things, earthly things, adultery, immorality, fornication, murder, gossip, envy, pride, all those things. Paul illustrates it in the book of Galatians, the deeds of the flesh and the, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so here we are, we're caught in limbo. And that's why parents, this statement is so important. That's why young people, this thing is so important. You know the biggest dilemma the church has? I just illustrated it through Scripture. We're in a dying body, and we have a living spirit of Christ in us, and the two are at war. And so we're putting to death this, that flesh, right? And it's hard, and it's a lifetime. You can just look at the great story, one story after another. Moses being led by the Spirit of God leads the children out of Egyptian bondage and years and years and years into the problem, into this problem that God had given him to live by faith and to trust him and to lead God's people out of bondage. And when he gets, he's an old man, and the flesh got back up. The flesh got back up. The great flesh, he's there, and he gets so frustrated that he takes a staff and he bangs that rock. The flesh one, the spiritual man. And because of that, he needs his promised land. Now he's saved. He needs to have it. You know what Jimmy Younger said this morning? Charlie wants to hear what Jimmy Younger said this morning. You can see the flesh. You can see the, you can observe the example and pattern of flesh, earthly thing everywhere. You know what the blessing of a preacher is? This is the absolute blessing of a preacher. It's, very odd. it's on display everywhere, the observation, the examples, and the pattern of earthly things. You know what the blessing of a preacher is? You know what the best thing about being a preacher is? This is the best thing. And when you see the spirit and earth collide, you just see the spirit and the earth collide, and then the spirit wins. And the spirit overwhelming you. You as I was to see, let me see you as I was dear, let me hear. In this grieving, dark home this morning, a matriarch has passed away. Her husband of many years in the home that had been built in 1971 came back from the war in 1969, started building that house out there. They, you know, it was a time that they had a kerosene refrigerator. I didn't know what that was. They, they made a garden, not because they liked to garden, but because that's how they fed their family. Let me tell you something, kids. We, we got a generation that's dying. Oh. We got a generation of people that went and fought a world war over there in Germany, the second one in the 1940s. That generation of people, I don't know that this country has ever raised. Maybe we call they called the greatest generation. They understood what genuine hardship and difficulty and struggles were. And they went over a sea and fought a world in a world war for the freedom that this country was established on and was so dearly loved. I don't know that that generation has ever existed since. I, do, I don't know. But as a preacher, you get to see. They, this man, they stayed married. I got to tell you this. During the wedding yesterday, it was an emotional wedding. Doug was there, really. The, the groom's ring it came for the exchange. Mark was there. Yeah, it choked me up. I knew about it the night before. This goes with observing, pattern, example. 
So his grandson, the grandfather's now dead. His grandfather had been married for 32 years. Jimmy Younger come back from, he fought in the Korean War, served in the Vietnam War, came over here in 1969. He builds a house that exists today. His loving bride passed away this morning. But I'm, I'm doing this wedding yesterday. I don't believe in coincidence. And you know what happens? The ring ceremony. The ring was from his grandfather. His grandfather had been married for 32 years. When he was training to go fight in that world war over there, he had gotten married and he had a ring on. And part of the training, they put him in a gas room where they gassed him with these gases because they knew that the Germans were going to use these terrible gases to fight them. And they told him he had to take his ring off. And this man said, that ring ain't coming off. It ain't coming off. This ring symbolizes the unconditional, unbroken, eternal love of God that he gave me in the precious gift of my wife. This ring's not coming off. And they put tape around it. And he never took it off for 32 years. And yesterday, that man's ring was given to his grandson. And it was something to observe. It was an example. And it was a pattern. Now, here it is, young folks. Here's what my problem is. This is what bothers me. I have the internal, the internal problem of, of, of a dying body and a living spirit and the two at war. But here's my single biggest burden for the church. Paul's writing to the church. You can go to 2 Corinthians 11. And he says, let me tell you about my life. I've been shipwrecked. I've been in danger overnight. I've been in danger from countrymen. I've spent a night in, in, in a day in the open sea. I've, I've, I've received five times 39 lashes, stripes on the back of my back. I've been beaten. I've been in prison. I've been in danger from every. And he said, you know what he said? He said, and this is the apostle. He said, and apart from that, there's the daily concern, my daily concern for the church. I hate what Satan is doing and has done and continues to do as he tries to demean, dishonor, discredit the church. I hate it. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I'm going to do something. He said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to establish a church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. They haven't, they won't, and it'll never happen. There's only one eternal organization that will ever live, and it's you and I. It's the church. But here's my problem. I don't know if the church understands that we're not an earthly organization. We're a spiritual organization. Everywhere I look in this world, and you guys are going to be leaving home, you're going to, you know, well, I go to church. We went to the Zion Church of Curtain. You're going to get married like this young couple and you're going to have kids and you're going to hopefully make a determination. You're going to understand what the spiritual Word of God says. Don't forsake the assembling of the saints. And you're going to understand that the church is the only eternal organization in the world. And you're going to understand that the church is where you need to have your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your friends, the people that you work for and with. That's what you need to do. This thing's far more important far more important than anything the world has to offer you. It's far more important. I heard this week, it's nonsense. On the, talk about the NFL. They, this is a crucial game. It's not a crucial game. There's nothing crucial going on this afternoon. 
There's not a single crucial thing going on on any stadium and anywhere in this nation. I follow it. I'm a fan. But it ain't nothing crucial. It's a game. But we use words like crucial. That'll crucial. You know, something crucial happened this morning right here on 2038. The mortal body of a living Christian died. And the Spirit of God has lifted her into eternity. That's crucial, baby. That's crucially wonderful. Apply those two words together. But see, here's the problem. The church, we don't know. There's a great book every one of you ought to read. Every single one of you ought to read. It's called The Worldly Church. You ought to read it. You can get it. It's called The Worldly Church. And here's the problem, kids. We got church full of people that have an example, an observation, and a pattern that are in them. And it's not spiritual, it's earthly. I had a tremendous spiritual woman, Charm Robards. Her husband's a great preacher, gospel preacher. We were at Abilene Christian University. And, uh, she'd made this statement to ministers and their wives. She said, you know, one of the most heartbreaking things, and if this offends you, anybody here, it's not intended to, I have no one in my mind, but I, I want to just say, he said, when you raise your daughters, when you raise your daughters, and you allow them to dress like the world, you have taught them an earthly thing. When, you, when, you, when your daughters come to church or leave the house in provocative clothing, things that are too tight, things that are a dramatic appeal to the flesh, your mind is set on an earthly thing. And if that offends you and if I'm wrong, please come tell me. Well, are we in the earth? We're, the Scripture says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Peter writes about that. Men, women? Godly women, you shouldn't be adorned. Your, your value in the world it shouldn't be based upon an earthly thing to attract, to establish beauty and attract attention for whatever reason. And if that bothers you, then you're bothered by the spiritual word of God. You can hate me, I don't care. But if you hate me and, I've pre and I have preached wrongly, then please God show me and I'll get on my knees and repent. Your battle's not with me. The battle is the one I've described. It's an earthly thing. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But we've compromised. We let our young men act like something that is certainly not a spiritual example. Men will be men. Not, no, they won't be. They will be a man. They'll either be a man of the flesh and earthly things, or they'll be a spiritual man. Instead of bringing honor to themselves and walking and talking and strutting and look at me, they're going to be somebody that will wash feet if they got to be washed. They're going to turn the other cheek when they need to turn it. They'll be seen as a coward in a world of heathen bravado that is false. Men and women in business. One of my first struggles as a, as a Christian, I didn't know, and the preacher asked me to come to a meeting, elders and deacons and preachers. There were two deacons that had been in business together. Two. 
And they were suing one another. And they were members of this church. And the elders were doing the biblical godly thing. And I was young in my Christianity. And, 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 and I remember being in that meeting. And now I know why the preacher wanted me to be there. The one man said to the other, deacons. He said, yes, I'm a Christian, but this is business. This is business. So what would you get to, if you're a Christian, with the Spirit of Christ that dwells within you, you get to make a different decision about a business decision because that's the way the earth does things? You probably ought to reread that passage in Romans 8. Really. And I mean that for your own spiritual being. We don't have that luxury, kids. You don't have a luxury of looking like the earth and the world six days a week and something else spiritual on the seventh day. Or 50-50. You don't. And the problem you're going to struggle with is the same struggle. You'll compromise. Look at the way church is done. Look at the way church is done. And I don't want to be sound arrogant. I'm going to say it. It would be very easy to fill this building to the brim, and it would. Oh, it would. The Scripture very clearly says there'll be a time when men and women will not endure sound doctrine. They'll gather for them and to them people that'll tickle their ears. Jesus Christ, we're going to, Jesus Christ is not your personal Savior wrapped in a Christmas gift for your personal pleasure. Jesus Christ is not your personal Christmas gift wrapped in a uh, gift for your personal pleasure. He's not. He's not a puppet on a string. We watched a great video with our youth group of Nick Foles talking he said, listen, everything that's happened to me, I don't want to go into details, but he was an NFL Super Bowl quarterback. He was traded. He's had injuries. And, and he was asked a question about the struggle. And he said, let me tell you something. <laughs> to a, the quarterback from Alabama just said it. Some great movie star just said it. It's everywhere. You can see it. People are being called to make a statement. And his statement was, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, my injury is an opportunity to honor God. The Super Bowl trophy meant nothing except for an opportunity to honor God. I have to stop because I've just gone way over. But I, I just want to tell you, I, I didn't even get to the verses about Thanksgiving. You ought to read them in the fourth chapter about being anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in prayer, verse 6, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God will be yours. You know when you're living by the earth? You know when you're living according to earthly things? You'll never know peace. Because, you're, well, this is our earth. We don't act like a Christian here. I'm at the hunting camp. I don't act like a Christian here. I'm at the bar. I don't act like a Christian here. This is business. I don't act like a Christian here. I don't do that. Different set of standards. And I know it's personal. My wife, my own very dear loving wife called me to accountability about seven, eight years ago. Two different environments. She said to me, she felt the Spirit of God in her. She said, preacher, you know, you probably might be the only preacher these people see. You're the man that represents God. I wouldn't do anything just necessarily terrible. But I said, you know, listen, we're doing something else. We're over here. I don't need to be a preacher. Since when do I not need to be a preacher? 
And she had to point that out to me. And she was right and godly and honorable by doing that. That's what I'm doing this morning. That's what Paul is doing to these people here. They're here, a final test. I'm going to give you a challenge. I told the group I'm going to give you a challenge. I told you it's a challenge. It's a challenge. You can start this at Thanksgiving. You ought to start it this Sunday. So I'm going to say, is this an earthly thing? And it's a spiritual thing. Earthly thing, spiritual thing. Now, this could be used for spiritual thing. But let me ask you something. It's a challenge. All of you, except maybe one of you, have one of these. And it's important. And all your friends have them, too, don't they? Oh, they got them. And, and we all do a lot of this. Y'all, you, you go to eat somewhere like that? Or wherever you go, or whatever restaurant you are. Why are all the families doing this? Now, I'm challenged. And I'm doing it, too. Now, when I go eat breakfast in the morning, and I'm by myself, and I go to the French country store somewhere, I take a Bible, I'm taking a Bible in there. I ain't taking a phone in there. I'm taking a Bible. Now I'm gonna challenge you. You go to school. This is the most precious thing I know. I don't know anything more precious than the word of God. It's the most valuable thing that I know. It's the most spiritual thing that I know. I'm gonna challenge you when you go to school. Take my name. Take the Bible. Carry it with you. If you take your phone in a restaurant, be distracted by the way for your food, take my Bible. I mean, take my Bible. Why wouldn't you? What was on this thing here that's even remotely as important or entertaining or valuable as this right here? Well, we wouldn't, we couldn't imagine. Where's my phone? Yeah. Where's my phone? Oh, man, I left my phone. I got to turn around and go back and get my phone. My family's in front of me. You know, when you talk about observe, example, and pattern, there was a time in this country when families got together at the end of the day and they came into the living room together and they didn't turn that damn TV on. And they didn't turn that light up computer. They didn't sit there looking at their phones. They opened their Bibles. They opened their Bibles. And you know some of you old enough here to know it's true. And the father or the mother or the grandmother or the grandfather told a story. Tell me the story. If I'm wrong, you tell me. Take your Bible to school. When you go eat lunch, have your Bible on your day. Read your Bible. Do it. 30. It's a spiritual thing. It'll put to death this earthly thing. You'll find satisfaction, and, and God will be honored, and you'll see the honor of God. You will. Parents, I challenge you. It's the earthly things that kill us. It's the spiritual life of Jesus Christ that gives us life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise and honor. Father, we ask that you help us kill anything earthly in us. 
our motivations, if it's our business, if it's our marriage, if it's our friendships, our desires, that you kill that, Father. By the power of your Spirit, you kill anything in us that's earthly. You created in us a spiritual desire from your Word to live according to your Word. Living as the spiritual beings that we are, that you've made us, that you created in us, that you've given us. And the thing that we should be most thankful for as we approach this week. But every day, Father, I pray that you create in us that spirit of thanksgiving. Oh, dear Lord God Almighty, thank you for indwelling me with your spirit. Thank you for killing anything ungodly in me. Thank you for seeing that there was something in me that you would deem that you would save me and give me the gift of your spirit through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things. I pray these things for myself. I pray these things for this church, Father. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we prepare for communion this morning, we're going to sing the words to come to the table. It's 464 in the hymnal. We can remain seated as we prepare our hearts.